He's blonde and bitchin'. She's sporty and sassy. Together, they're perfectly imperfect. It's Jesse and Jenna's messy podcast. Cheers! <laughs> Hi. Um. Uh. So do I have to like? Should I change? I'm just wearing like a t-shirt and a baseball cap. So am I. Like, okay. Yeah. Good. So it doesn't. Okay. <laughs> Speaking shirt. And Jenna just woke up. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, jealous. That's nice. Did have you, you have seen like Matt? A... I know Jenna's seen you at Yucks, but I don't know if you've ever officially met. I don't have think we so. met before, Jenna? Yeah, I don't think we ever actually met like face to face or anything like that. But obviously, like I know who you are, but I we've never like formally met. Hello. Yeah, but it's it's <laughs> nice to meet you finally. Nice to meet you too. <laughs> um, oh. Yeah. Why Why were you just waking up now? Did you have like a really late night? Um, no, it was just really hot. And I was like, okay, I really need to like a break from this heat. So I went to my only air conditioned room, my bedroom, set my alarm because I knew I was going to fall asleep. And yeah, I also was doing like manual labor for the last two days, which is not something I normally do. Why? Right. (laughs) She's that bored and quarantined. (laughs) Right. I was helping a friend. I helped a friend like build a little patio deck. Oh, I love that. I love stuff like that. Yeah, it was a good workout. That's kind of why I did yeah. it. Yeah. No, exactly. And in this heat, what's it like in Ottawa, like the temperature? Oh, it's gross. We almost had to cancel this because my makeup's going to start melting in about 30 minutes. <laughs> so we got to go. <laughs> the Wicked Witch of the West, just like bleh. Oh, it's, uh, Toronto's just as bad, right? Or worse? Toronto's pretty bad. Um, we actually have two air conditioners running at night because it's like so hot, but like... Um, I don't know. Like I've been going down to the like the like to Lake Ontario a lot, like at Cherry Beach and stuff. So like um, it kind of takes the edge off of it, but it's really humid. Okay. All right. Yeah. So Canadian, we start talking about the weather. I've I've had an intro for you, but maybe we should. Just, we've already started, so <laughs> here we are. <laughs> Hello. Such a thrilling Is- beginning. Oh, how's yeah. the weather? Oh. What are we? Eighty years old. Yeah. Well, you know, these days it feels like it, <laughs> it does. Uh, I, I I will read your fancy intro. See, you know what? Oh. This is the problem. Is we're used to doing this podcast where sometimes people are just on the phone or like from our radio days, people are always on the phone. So this is sort of a new thing where you're staring at each other's face. So I always want to comment on what you look like and you look very scruffy. I don't think I've ever seen you this scruffy. Oh, I know. My hair is like literally like super long and curly and like out of control and like I hate it. So I wear a baseball cap to do everybody a favor. <laughs> You have beautiful curly ringlets. Yeah, I hate it. I've always hated it. I don't have the bone structure for it. I have a very large nose and a large forehead, so curly hair does not complement that. So I just like my hair short at all times. It's so funny because if you have super straight hair, you always want curly hair. And everyone who has really curly hair always wants straight hair. You always want something you just can't have. That you can't have. Well, if if you thought you looked like Screech before... That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like it's really, it's like really intense whenever I have really curly hair. So I just like try to avoid that as much as possible. Not to say that like Screech was like, you know, I'm sure he was someone's type, like whatever, if you're into that, but like, I'm not, so. <laughs> well, then you'd be into yourself. Joining us on the podcast is Dustin Diamond to talk about his X-rated <laughs> career. <laughs> no. Didn't he like stab somebody? Oh yeah. <laughs> Scratch that. Went to jail. Yes, yeah, so like don't don't cross me. I'll I'll cut okay. you. <laughs> <laughs> Save by the bell style. 
Yeah, exactly. Well, in case anybody doesn't know who you are, we should uh, read your intro. And so uh, for years, our guest today was the Christina to my Britney on the Ottawa comedy scene. <laughs> Technically, you were Britney because you started first, but you know that wouldn't fly for me. So we'll go with what I just said. Kyle Brownrigg is now taking the Toronto comedy scene by storm. He's a host of the Best Actress podcast. And last June, he was named the Best Breakout Artist at the Canadian Comedy Awards, becoming the first gay male to ever be awarded in that category, which is freaking amazing. And we're going to talk more about that. Okay. He was also a finalist in SiriusXM's Top Comic Competition and has taped numerous stand-up specials on CBC just for last. Blah, blah, blah. Now I'm getting jealous. Joining us for our Pride Month celebration is Kyle Brownrigg. Woo! Hi. <laughs> so that is really exciting that you were the first one to ever get... What was the award exact title? Best Breakout uh, Artist. Best Breakout Artist. It's kind of like... It's kind of like, you know, like a newcomer kind of thing. Um, and, you know, like whenever, because you just were talking about Christina Aguilera winning like best new artist, like at the Grammys, it's kind of like a, it's like an award, but it's sort of more like we see potential in you, not like you were the stand-up comic of the year. It's just sort of like, hey, like, you know, but the thing about the Canadian Comedy Awards is um, it's it's like any award show, really. It's like you have to campaign, you have to get people to vote for you. And it's really just sort of like who put in the most work and like, bitch, I put in a lot of fucking work and I won that fucking award. So. <laughs> I voted for you, um, even though it killed me. Thank you. Um, but, you know, <laughs> but, you know, you're, you're trying to downplay it. And I think it's so cool because you and I have had this conversation many times in the green room with our girl, Scott Thompson about how there is no super famous gay stand-up comedians. Right. Yes, name them, Jenna, go ahead, go ahead. Ellen, De Ellen DeGeneres. No, no, men, gay males. Oh, Ellen yeah. DeGeneres, no, I'm just joking. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so you think- Leslie Jordan, maybe, that would be the only, like, maybe one that would pop into my brain. But he's an actor, I don't think he's a stand-up comedian. Yeah, that's true, that's true. No, I can't. The fact that I have to think this hard about it says that there is a now. So the wait, first- wait, 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 refresh my drink. Leslie Jordan, I know Leslie Jordan. I'm blanking. What is, who's Leslie Jordan? He's from Will and Grace is the one that like first pops in. Little, small, older men with a gentle accent. Oh, a Southern oh, like Charleston oh. accent. Yes. I mean, he's not really, I'm sure he maybe probably does comedic acting, but he's right. not like a stand-up or anything like that. No, so I can't think of a, male gay stand-up comedian off the top of my head. There's that guy that does those conversations like in the street where like he'll bring Billy like celebrities. That's right, Billy Eichner. He actually has like a movie coming out with Judd Apatow and Judd Apatow right now seems to be doing like a lot of star vehicles, like star making vehicles like he did with Trainwreck and he's trying to do that with um, the King of Staten Island and like with Pete Davidson, I mean. And I think he's trying to do that with Billy Eichner. Although I feel like Billy Eichner is more of like an actor and like comedic actor than he is like a stand-up comic. And, and that is just a really frustrating thing that there are actually no, like, I mean, on the same level of fame as like Ellen and Wanda Sykes, there are no gay male stand-ups of that calum, of that level of fame and success. Hmm. Billy Eichner, yeah, he's more like a personality more than a comedian, is that how I would describe him. But when Kyle first brought this up to me backstage, I was like, bullshit. And I started naming them, because there are some, Bruce Valanche, remember from Hollywood Squares, Mario uh, Cantoni, 
but these still aren't at that level. Like, yeah, they're famous, no. they're, they're rich, but they're not at the Ellen level. And it's crazy when you think about it. There is not a single one. But do you think it has anything to do with this hyper-masculated, misogynistic, dark yeah. side of comedy that is now coming to light with the Chris Delia thing? People are coming out being like, and the Joe Rogan, I mean, if you go to my Twitter, I'm going to plug myself. Yeah, Jenna Timo. But I did retweet something that was tweeted by uh, Christina Peretti. Or is that her name? Yeah. From, from uh, Chelsea, Nine Chelsea, Chelsea Peretti. Sorry, Chelsea. Yeah. And that was like, she retweeted, I think. And it was this thing where Joe Rogan and them were talking about how they treated women and stuff. So they create this like hyper-masculine bubble that a straight female could barely penetrate. Yeah. And didn't, and there's still a lack of female stand-up comedians. Maybe yeah. that also it kind of had the residual effect on gay men. I personally, the way that I kind of see it in my head is that comedy uh, is a boys' club. Like stand-up comedy is such a boys' club, and the boys don't like to share. And if you are a threat to the boys' club, and you see comedy, and you speak the comedy language in a different language, they're like. It's that whole thing where it's like, you're scared of things that you don't understand, so you feel threatened by it. So for example, if you're a lesbian comedian, it's like, it generally tends to be a lot of observational humor, which is mostly what most white straight men do. So for them, it's like, oh, you're speaking my language, you're not a threat to me. So it's like, we're kind of going for this same way of communicating stand-up comedy, where I find that a lot of women and uh, gay men, again, this is also a huge generalization, but I'm just saying, um, women and gay men tend to approach comedy in a different way. Um, and and I think that because, like, I'll, especially a lot of straight guys are obsessed with, like, Joe Rogan, for example. I mean, how many gay men does Joe Rogan have in his podcast? It's mostly, like, a very bro-y podcast. And so when you think gay man, you don't think, stand-up comedy you think like flight attendant or something and it's uh it's it's really problematic because basically like we're just constantly boxed in and um I think the reason why the majority of my friends in comedy are female comics is because I think that it's not the same struggle obviously because I don't know what it's like to be a woman but I do know what it's like to be discriminated against for something that you can't help at all and it's really hard like you're saying to penetrate that bubble that they have created and uh, yeah, there's like, there's so many reasons why, but personally, I just think it's because we're, we're threatening to them because they don't understand us. I was going to say that. Do you think, do both of you think that it's out of fear? Because I feel like with women, straight men are fearful of women that are going to come in and take their shine. And I think also maybe, do you think they're fearful of the, the trendy gay man that people love? Do you ever think that that's, a little intimidating to them? I think the, I think like short answer, yes. Just because I think that a lot of straight guys, one thing that they have a hard time understanding about the comedy industry, I mean, especially in Canada, is that right now what comedy is trying to do, things at Just for Laughs and things on TV, is they're really trying to, to diversify with like people of color, indigenous comics, um, LGBTQIA2 comics, and they're trying to build that up because those voices just don't exist in comedy or they barely exist in comedy. But the straight white male voice has existed in comedy the whole time. So a straight white male will be doing comedy for 10 years before he gets a JFL taping. 
where a uh, gay male person of color comedian will get that taping in two years and then the white male comedian that's been doing it for 10 years resents the shit out of the guy that got it in two years and then either talks so much shit about him or just says, oh, the only reason why he got it was because he was black and gay and that's the flavor of the month. And then that's why they resent us and then they don't take us seriously. It's a really vicious cycle. And that's just, that's show business in general where people resent each other for bullshit reasons because there's fragile egos at play. And I think everything you said is exactly right. And it maybe for some of them goes a step further. We're talking a lot about systemic racism these days. Well, there's systemic homophobia too. And oh my God, if a gay comedian passed you and is more successful than you, that's, a, that's like, how could that happen, right? Same if a woman does better than you. Not cool. Absolutely. Actually, it is. No, absolutely. (laughs) So do you think, Kyle, that being gay has helped or hurt your stand-up career? Both. Helped in that I will be the first person to admit, because I I live in the real world, I'm very aware that sometimes they need that gay spot to be filled um, at, like, a comedy show. They need need a gay comic on the lineup, or it's like a pride show, and, uh, you know, uh, I will take those sort of tokenizing spots. Um, but it has also hurt me as well because um, I'm not going to like name, I'm not going to name like, I'm not going to name names, but I will say that like I have done recordings for like tapings for things where I'll talk about like five minutes, I don't know, going like my trip to Mexico, for example. And then I'll have like one minute where I'm just talking about being gay, but then all that gets put out there is just the material about being gay. So it's like, I'm only presented in a very specific package. And it's almost like, no, that's all there is to you. But it's like, I'm giving you other things, but it's like, they don't want it. So it's, it, it helps and it hurts. It's very reductive. It, it, but at the same time, it can like help you, but like, um, also too, like performing in small towns. And I mean, you know what that's like and like being discriminated against. And I mean, I've literally been attacked. I've been attacked at two shows. Like it's just, it, it helps and it hurts. In Toronto, did that, those attacks happen? Because before you answer, you mentioned the small towns and I was terrified. Jenna will tell you any show I've had in a small town, but they were actually all great experiences. And I know you've had more practice than I have, but I found that the small towns are often less homophobic than the big cities. I would actually like 90% agree with that because I am always really nervous to, to perform in these small, excuse me, in these small towns. And I find that nine times out of 10, it always is like an amazing time. And you know, these people in smaller towns, it's like, this is their one night out. Yeah, they're they're just happy to have something to do. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, they're just, they're, they're just looking to have a good time. I've had people defend me in small towns, but no, when I, I, I've been attacked twice and it was in, um, it was in small town, like Ontario. Wow. That's sickening to me. I didn't even know that. That's so but, I, but I will say though, I had more people defend me though, than like, you know, more people were hating on me. It's like, there were more people defending me than there were people like, it was, it's always just like one asshole that just like starts shit. Uh, one time it was two, but like generally 
you know, there's a reason why they're picking on you. It's like, I think there's something going on with them <laughs> and they're like taking it out on you kind of thing. So I just, I never really take it personally, to be honest with you. Well, I think you're right in that it hurts and it helps. Like it is reductive. If you're somebody as shallow as me, like I've really leaned into it <laughs> and I don't mind being a cartoon character, but I've found that it's a good thing I don't mind because otherwise I, it's, it would be a very uphill battle to try to fight that stereotype. So it's better to just lean into it and you get more money. That's true. Um, it, you know, everybody has like a different journey. I know that for a really long time, this probably would have been about 2013 to about like 2015 in the industry. It was sort of like there was this trend where if you were like straight presenting and you were male, but you were gay, but like you, it was like you were straight presenting gay kind of thing. It's like there was this little trend where like they were getting booked for everything. And I think that really rubbed people sort of the wrong way because comedy was like, oh my God, look, they're gay. But like, you could never tell, aren't they so brave? And it's like, okay, that's a small fraction of the gay community. But why is it that you guys never, ever, ever present actual, like a real gay guy? Like, I'm not saying that a straight presenting gay guy isn't. It's just that they're a small representation of our community where the bigger representation Okay, well, here's an example. It's like Disney finally cast um, their first openly gay character, and it's played by a straight guy. The character is supposed to be like this theatrical flamboyant character, and they hire a fucking straight guy. And you're like, hmm, where else could we find in the theater world a theatrical flamboyant boy? Like, are you <laughs> fucked? Like, what is wrong with you, Disney? It's like, you guys had an opportunity and you fucked up really hard. Like, you could have made history and it's like, you just made a really dumb choice. And it's just, it's a lot of things like that where it's like, why is it that the gay person is always represented by somebody that's like straight? That's the complete opposite of what being gay is. It's so, it's so annoying. Let's be honest, uh, Disney doesn't always land itself on the good side of history when it comes to diversity. <laughs> Finally got our true. first black princess in what, 2017, I think? <laughs> the, yeah, well, but what was it back in the day with the cartoons? They had those like, it was those crows in Dumbo oh, yeah. that were like super offensive. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was even way before that, there was a lot that Disney did that was even more offensive shortly after like around the Civil War era when that ended, when, a, um, when slavery was abolished. They put out some pretty uh pretty uh <laughs> horrible cartoons about like how they were happier when they were enslaved and it's just oh. awful like disney has such a horrible reputation <laughs> wow. i don't know how a company like that can succeed for so long after it's been through so much like that well when did disney start i mean the civil war wasn't that in the 1800s yeah it was a long time ago but i think it was like shortly after i'll take a oh. look because i thought i thought disney started in like the 30s who cares? Okay, here's a question, Kyle. I'm very, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but how do you feel about comedians who don't write their own material? And here's my, here's uh, my, here's my counter argument to put it in perspective for you a lot, you know, cause you know, it's automatically a big no, no, right? You think what? No. But then you think Meryl Streep's never written a screenplay. Celine right. Dion's never written a song. Well, she's co-written. She's co-written. But wouldn't reading somebody else's jokes be acting and not stand-up? Well, this is what I'm curious True. about. 
That's a really good point. Um, what do I think about it? Uh, I think that if you are so rich and famous that you can literally just pay somebody to do your job for you, but all you have to do is just regurgitate it out and then you take all of the glory. Um, if you want to make it, that's what you want to do with your career. I a hundred percent, I a hundred percent like respect that because that's your choice. And I wish I was that rich and, and powerful. Uh, so I guess like I'm kind of jealous of that, but at the same time, I don't think you're an artist. If you need someone to write your jokes for you, I consider myself to be an artist. And I think that comedy is an art form. And, uh, but if somebody said like, you know, if somebody handed me the most amazing joke in the world and they're like, oh, give me $5,000. Uh, and I was taping like an HBO special and this was like a 10 minute bit that was just fucking killer. Um, I don't know. I think I would probably say yes to that. I wouldn't do a whole set, but I mean like a couple jokes like here and there. Like I know that Sarah Silverman, she used to have a joke and it was like her most famous joke for the longest time and she didn't even write it. And it was like, I was licking jam off of my lover's penis the other day. And then I thought to myself, oh my God, I'm turning into my mother. And it was like her most famous joke, but she didn't write it. It was like this really clean comic that wrote it and was like, I feel like this is more of a Sarah Silverman joke. And then she gave it to her and then she just kind of ran with it. I mean, she admits that it's she didn't write it, but like, you know, sometimes somebody just comes up with a better joke for you. I think you're right when you say then you're, you're maybe not an artist. You could still be a performer or an entertainer. You know, my girl Brittany comes to mind. Wouldn't call her an artist. But she used to be one hell of a performer. Yes, I said used to be, Jenna. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> That's another podcast. It's but, only taken me about five years to let that sink in for him. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> no, I find it's a very, comedy seems to be this one thing that has a lot of prestige and you have to write your own shit and it has to be all created by you like a painter, whereas there's other art forms, singing, dancing, where somebody else can give you the choreography, but it's still an awesome dance. So I've been very conflicted about that in my own journey. I mean, I think it just depends on the industry, to be honest with you. I feel like like with music and acting and stuff like that, um, that's one thing. But I mean, like for stand-up comedy, like the only thing that you have to do is write a joke. That's the only thing. Because like, you don't even have, like you could literally show up in sweatpants and like a, t a dirty one size too small t-shirt. It doesn't matter. Some of them it's do. Like the only no, oh, 100, and we're, we all know that it's all the straight boys. I know. I also come from Ottawa. Like, I'm very aware. Um, <laughs> but, you know, one thing I think is so funny about that is that, like, they, they draw the line on shorts. They're like, that's the most offensive thing is shorts on stage. They're like, oh, no, that's where we draw the line. I'm like, you look like a kid in kindergarten on, like, picture day, and you dressed yourself. Like, you look a hot mess but you draw the line at shorts. You're like, okay, cool, yeah. Maybe <laughs> they're scared because Jesse's worn his assless shorts before and they have been known appropriate. <laughs> so they were like, you know what, just across the board, let's just ax out shorts so that Jesse, you know, doesn't come in with his butt hanging out. Yeah, yeah, it's happened. <laughs> but you know, Potentially. you know, if those are the guys writing killer material, but they're showing up on stage like that, isn't that only half the job? Because there's the writing and then there's the performing. And a lot of them write great material, but they perform like shit. 
do you okay well then would you like let somebody write like a whole bunch of jokes for yes, but I don't for you? I, I don't consider myself a real stand-up I'm more in the category of like I'm an actor pretending to be a stand-up because really I wanted to be an actor and I can't get a goddamn booking so I was like okay I'll start being a stand-up and then I got a job with Jenna on the radio so you know my plan kind of worked but I kind of am unconventional so yeah I would totally let someone write jokes for me but I think I would then edit them or like add to them I mean if you do stand-up comedy then you're a stand-up I mean I really just think that's how simple it is I mean there's there's different sort of levels I mean there's different types of stand-ups you know you have like corporate stand-ups you have like fuck I don't know like we're overthinking I, it maybe <laughs> yeah I, like a, a little bit but anyway uh personally no I I don't think if I had a special coming out I would want people to know that like half the jokes weren't even written by me it's how that's personally that's how I feel well and I think y'all need to give yourselves a, like a bit of slack because look at you know, SNL, like not one skit is usually written by just one person. And a right. skit is just a big long joke, right? Mm -hmm. So it's acting out a joke instead of telling a story, you know? And so if they're not doing it, then I, you're fine if someone helps you with your act. Okay. I, well, I don't mind if somebody gives me like, it's like if I had like a, a bit and then somebody comes up to me and is like, oh, try, have you tried saying this? And they have like a little tag, like, oh yeah, like that's fine. Because sometimes somebody will give me a better a better ending. I'll take that. That's fine. Yeah. Right. Look at Jenna Switzerland. So in other words, we're both right. <laughs> sure. Okay. Okay. Two things uh, that you're up to right now, which is very exciting, is you have a podcast called the, the Best Actress Podcast. Tell us about that. Well, that I wanted fun? to. Yeah. So uh, it's it's going it's going well. It's a very niche podcast but um it, i'm kind of getting the exact reaction from it that i was expecting it's uh, mostly a lot of like older gay men that are like messaging me being like thank you so much for doing the lord's work i'm like you're welcome <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it's got to be so dramatic <laughs> i know <laughs> the lord's work <laughs> the lord and i'm literally quoting that um <laughs> So basically, I wanted to do a podcast that had absolutely nothing to do with stand-up comedy because living in Toronto, every single comedian has a podcast about local comedians that no one has ever heard of, and that's fine. But in my head, I'm like, unless you're also a comedian who knows this person, why would you listen to that? You know what I mean? Um, and if you're not familiar with the scene, why would you listen to that? So I just kind of wanted to do a project that had nothing to do with comedy because like my whole fucking life is stand-up comedy and comedy this and comedy that, comedy drama. So for once I'm like, I just want to do something that I think would be fun. So basically it's like the podcast is we pick a year, um, any year, like let's say we talked about Renee Zellweger winning this year and then we watch uh, all the five movies and then we discuss every nominee and then at the end we do like a little reveal of like who we thought should have won and why. It's fun. Just an excuse to watch a lot of movies to be honest that, with you. <laughs> well, per perfect born in quarantine but that's actually cool. I didn't realize that's how it works like because you know I've listened to every episode but I just never clued in that you actually watched all <laughs> I thought you actually just picked an actress and was like let's talk about this actress. No, it's like a, it's like a, it's like if, if I was in charge that night of who should have won, it's like, and then you say who you would have picked. Nine, I would say like 60% of the time, it's never the person that actually like won the award because there's a lot of politics and 
and stuff like that. And a lot of people of color that are looked over and a lot of like, it, when you really go back far, like to like the fifties and the sixties and stuff like that, like you kind of just see how like, you know, people of color were like represented in film and like, it's really troubling. <laughs> Here's something super gay for you. I recently read Blanche Devereaux's uh, or Rue McClanahan's autobiography called My First Ten Husbands or something. But anyway, she has a chapter <laughs> where she talks about winning the Emmy and what a crock of shit it is. And we all known that, but like she just went in on all the politics and how it has nothing to do with talent at all. Really? What like it? Well, it's just you'd have to go read it, but like basically, it's agents and publicists campaigning and trying to like it's it's a political campaign. Why should this person win, and why they be the best representation of the academy, and all this bullshit? Well, I mean, not to the same sort of extent, but the Canadian Comedy Awards, it's kind of the same thing. It's it is a lot of politics, where it's sort of like you, you like personally have to contact people you have to explain why you think that you should have won and most comics are really not going to do that and so when somebody wins i find a lot of comedians will like shit talk the winner and then you're like don't they just did the work it's like you guys just kind of sat there and we're just being like really cynical but all award shows listen as far as i'm concerned it's so fun to like win that stuff and to be part of it but they're all just bowling trophies like awards don't mean anything Except for maybe an Oscar. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I mean, it has prestige, but I'm just saying, like, you know, like, in my year, I, it was like, who was it? It was like Natalie Norman, Jared Campbell, Adrian Fish, Nigel Grinstead, and me. It's like, at, like, one of us had to win, but, like, any one of us could have walked away with that, and I would have been like, yeah, I get it, you know? Like, it's silly. But it's fun, but, like, they're silly. Okay. That went quickly. We've been so serious. We have 10 minutes left. Um, so we may not even get to the weird news. <laughs> We're supposed to get your take on weird news, but this is an interesting, albeit serious conversation. If you want to see Kyle actually tell jokes, you should get his album, which if you listen really closely, you can hear my laugh in the background. <laughs> you were you're at the recording. I was. Were you at the late show or the early show? Both. Are you kidding? Oh, I, I, by the late show, I got a little too drunk for that recording. <laughs> So tell us behind the scenes, why do they do two recordings for an album? Oh, just in case you like fucked up a joke. Um, but my first recording was really good. And then my second recording, um, so the second recording, the front row was being kicked out as I was being brought up on stage. Was and I then... there? I wasn't there, was I? No, for the for the I don't no, know were no. you there for the recording? <laughs> oh okay it's just something that yes. happens to me often so I just have to double check with everyone because I have like a whole stack of apology letters I pre-written no I'm just joking I'm not that bad <laughs> oh I definitely am that bad I was talking to my I was talking to one of my friends about how I need to make an app where it like pre-schedules like apologies the night before and then like when you wake up it just automatically goes out <laughs> right an auto text that goes I'm sorry if I did anything silly last night had a blast yeah exactly <laughs> sorry for screaming at you all night uh, I, love it, no. I love it what's it called again the cover is amazing thank you um it's called unmedicated the new fragrance and the whole point of it it was it was just supposed to be like on brand for me where it's like narcissistic and funny but like i don't and like 
uh, artistic. Like I wanted to do something like kind of different, but I don't really know if people were feeling it too much. <laughs> oh, I was. Oh, it is. It's artistic. You sing on it. It's half musical. It's not, <laughs> talk about Dyson vacuums. I mean, it has everything. I have one now. I have a Dyson vacuum. I know. I'm so jealous. So do you, don't you, Jenna? No. Are you kidding me? I can't afford a Dyson. <laughs> oh, I got it. I got it on sale. I ended up paying $236 for it, but it was originally $400. Oh, there Ooh. we go. Because yeah, like I'm like, I love vacuuming just like the other person does. Don't get me wrong. But I don't have that kind of change for a Dyson vacuum. I'm eating cans of tuna and apples on the daily, okay? <laughs> I uh, think that's a diet. Isn't that like a fancy like LA diet, the tuna and apple diet? <laughs> is it really? Because one of my best friends lost a ton of weight and now we joke around Jesse whenever we're poor. We're like, oh, back to tuna and apples. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it is a legit diet. I think I'm pretty sure it is. I know that the one that's like really bad is the cayenne pepper diet with lemon juice, water, cayenne, and honey or something. Maple syrup, I think. That one oh, yeah. is, uh, I call it the Beyonce diet. Yes. She's the one that made it really popular when she got super skinny there for a bit. Uh, for dream girls. Yes, yes, I do believe yeah. it was around that time, yes. She had to lose 20 pounds in two weeks. That's what she did. Yeah. He says, like, he's unsure if it was Dream Girls, but he knows exactly I how think... much weight she had to lose. <laughs> well, no, because whenever I think of that movie, I'm like, was it? Because I know that, um, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Jennifer Hudson. Talking? Jennifer Hudson. Yes, I was about to say Jennifer Garner. No. Uh, <laughs> Jennifer Hudson won the Oscar for that. And I was like, was Beyonce in that? I'm like, yeah, Beyonce was in that. I think. Yeah, she was Ooh. singing backup vocals that movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So with, greatest performance yet. With your Dyson, are you making your little potato do all the housework in quarantine? Do you guys live together now? Oh, yeah. We've been living together for, like, almost... Um, we were very lesbian about it. We moved in together after, like, two months. Oh. <laughs> well, when you know, you know. That's what they say. And we have a cat, so, yeah. Oh, very um, lovely. Yes. We, uh, we've lived together now for, like, almost two years. Jenna, we call him his potato because he's Irish. And so potato is fun. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, yeah, he's originally from Ireland. And um, he, his accent's like not super intense, which is good. We went to Ireland um, for his dad's 60th birthday party. And I could not understand a single fucking word that his dad said. Nice guy, <laughs> I think. Like, I had no idea what he said. He was very generous, but I had no idea what he was saying. Like, I needed an interpreter. It was does, really intense. Does it get easier to understand them the more intoxicated you are? <laughs> I think <laughs> so. Yeah. I think so. But I remember one, I just started, like, improv at one point. Like, I think at one point he was like, he was like, and I said something like, I was like, oh yeah, we have like a similar rideshare program in Canada. It's called Project Red Nose and they run it around Christmas. I don't think you have to pay for it, but you should probably give them a tip. And he was like, what? And I was like, what? Like just, no idea. Um, do you, on your comedy album, do you tell the story of your first date? I can't remember if you do. No. So I'm actually trying to get a whole new, like, hour together. And then I'm going to do, like, another... I mean, I, that won't be for, like, a long time. But, like, I'm trying to get, like, a new headline happening so that I could do a new album. And that'll be on there, how we how we met. Because, yeah, we were, we were drunk on TV and the whole city was, like... My phone blew up. It was really embarrassing. 
Well, wait, what? We only have four <laughs> minutes left, so give us a condensed version. Were you on uh, like Speaker's Corner or something? You got drunk close. together? And it was called CP24. We were in the village. We were fucking wasted. It was our first date. And then like, just like every white girl, like when I'm drunk, I love attention. And um, this news reporter was like, can we interview you? And I was like, totally. And then I like brought the thunder and was just a hot mess on the news and a blackout. Cause I guess she didn't know how drunk we were. And then um, we walked into another bar cause we got kicked out of another one. And we walked into another bar and they were, we were on TV and like people were like laughing and they like were buying us drinks and they were just like, what the fuck? And like, I kind of got like a little like Toronto famous for like a day. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty embarrassing, but like, whatever. <laughs> and they lived happily ever after. Yeah, that was our first date. Yeah. That might be the most romantic story <laughs> I have ever heard. <laughs> And doesn't it prove to you that all these things about like, don't get drunk on the first date, don't fuck on the first date, out the window. <laughs> oh, no, like I don't, like if I went on a first date and somebody was like, oh, I don't drink. I'd be like, mom, can you come pick me up? Uh, I'm scared. Like that's, yeah. I gotta date somebody that can keep up with me. I mean, my one of my best friends is a newbie and I'm dating an Irish person. Like my liver died years ago. <laughs> liver, what's that? Yeah, yeah just RIP. <laughs> You're in good company. Have you been drinking more in quarantine? Are you ready for this to be over? What kind of question is that? I've yeah. been drinking more. I, I haven't been drinking as frequently. I only drink like once or twice uh, a week, which for me is like really good. But then on those two nights, I like drink into like a time traveling blackout where I'm like, I didn't drink that much this week. And then I, I crushed a box of wine the other day. I'm pretty sure that's five bottles of wine. <laughs> It is. We've heard. So, <laughs> well, at first, when you're like, I crushed a, a box, I was like, whoa. But then when you put it as in five bottles, I was like, well, that's actually <laughs> <laughs> We could do that. Kyle Brownrig, you're amazing. Everybody go follow him on social media. Kyle Brownrig with two Gs. Check out the Best Actress podcast and the comedy album, Unmedicated, The New Fragrance. Thank it's you for having me. You're welcome. Stay safe. Watch your hands. Cheers, Kyle Brownrick. Woo! Woo! Cheers. I don't have anything to drink here. <laughs>